For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anyamosigwe's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colours, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buff the success that it is today. British Urban Film Festival. I'm Claire Anyamo Sigwe. I'm the marketing and managing director of the festival. This is our 15th annual festival and we are so excited to be here because this is our live script reading. We'll pre-recorded as live for you guys and uh, this year just like any other year we select three script writers out of hundreds that have come through the festival we're kicking off this year with a very talented chap he's the writer of chalice and blade his name's charlie taylor and we've got a fantastic cast here raymond dunbar Stina mogul ore a sanderson gabriel quay anthony knight Kamal, your name's come off the screen, so I can't see you for the second. I'll go to my register. Uh, Kamal Miller, and um, I think I've got everybody. Yeah, perfect. So, let me just come back to you. Fantastic. I'm gonna leave it over to you guys. Please watch the whole of the 20 minute read. Afterwards, I'll be interviewing Charlie about how he came to tell this fantastic story, the genre, hopes for the script in the future and obviously hear from um, the talent as well about what their their acting credentials are what they're working on and what their kind of hopes are for the future as well so if there's any casting directors producers 
writers as well that are interested in working with any of these people i'll also make sure that they leave their social media handles and that those will come up on the screen as well so that you can all network with each other um, going forward okay fantastic so without further ado welcome to the reading of chalice and blade written by charlie taylor exterior desolate london twickenham sunset it's been a long day of walking for the temporary duo of Michaela and Wes, but the day is nearly done as the sun begins to set beside them. All eyes are on Twickenham and finding a place to sleep before they finish their journey. So how many of those water places have you got? Many. Any specific number? Not sure, really. Probably 100 by now. What? In the early years, when food started getting scarce, I started travelling across the city, left bowls and containers, wherever I could find in specific places. So if I ever want, if I ever went there again, sorry, I know I'll have a spot for water. I mainly stay in North and East London these days, so I pretty much use only half the water spots. Wow, you really have everything figured out. Well... It was either figure it out or die. That's the life now. That's depressing. Well, it's not all bad. I beg to differ. I've only been here for less than 48 hours and my life has been threatened several times already. Well, you wouldn't understand. You lived in suburbia all your life. Okay, so enlighten me. What's the upside to all of this? Just look around. Nature has taken over. The air is clean. No humans messing everything up. Not as many of them anyway. Every day, I get to watch the sunset in complete silence. It may be small, but it's mine, you know? So you don't miss your old life? I mean, sure. But there are pros and cons to both. Back then, I was striving to please everybody. Never happened to myself. I saw the incident as a fresh start. An opportunity to reinvent myself. Now, the city is mine. I don't rely on anybody but me. It certainly seems that way. The world really is your oyster. Wes looks down in contemplation and takes a deep breath. So, where are we sleeping tonight? Sun's going in. You're learning quickly. That's good. There's a library just around the corner. We should be okay in there. Perfect. As the two head for the library, Michaela makes conversation. So... Who are you planning to see when you make it where we're going? My aunt and uncle. My mum used to tell me that my uncle would relish this kind of life, really enjoy dystopian films and books. Well, there's enjoying something and then there's living it. What are you saying? I'm saying that not everyone is cut out for this. Just because people find entertainment from war films doesn't mean they could be given a rifle in order to kill someone that they, you've never met before. Wes looks at Maya as they walk. 
You don't think they're there, do you? No, I didn't say that. You think I'm wasting my time, don't you? Well, maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. It has been over a decade since you've last seen them. Wes doesn't respond. Okay, stop. Michaela lightly grabs Wes's shoulder as he walks. He slumps his way around. Let me just get this out of the way now before we sleep for the night and then our journey tomorrow. I don't know if you have a plan B, but if you don't, get one. You may want to think about the worst case scenario. You may not want to think about the worst case scenario, but you can't cut corners. Once this is done, you're on your own. Wes looks past Michaela. You can ignore me if you like, but the clock is ticking. Michaela walks into the library. Wes stays still. You coming or what? As Wes walks into the library, Alex, on the far end of the side of the road, looking onward. His eyes widened as soon as Mikado and Wes entered his line of sight. He takes cover to contemplate. He's already drank half of his supply of water. He tries to hold his determined excitement. That was the green. Alex takes a drink from his, from his water bottle. Why isn't he dead yet? Alex averts his attention, replaced by a more significant matter. What now? Alex has done half of what he was determined to do. He found Michaela. Stuck with what to do next, he sits and loiters, trying to think of alternatives. Interior, Twickenham Library, moments later. As Alex waits, Michaela and Wes look around the library. Compared to the previous buildings the duo have been in, the library is in a recognisable state. There is a large hole in the middle of the roof with the tiles sprayed out on the floor. Some bookshelves have survived in their stature, but most of the books themselves are severely weathered. Man, I haven't been in a library in a long time. I like libraries. Let me guess, peace and quiet? No, well, yes. But when you have time on your hands, reading is perfect. There is always something to learn. How do you think I learned to survive this long? Michaela finds one of her favourite books and sits on the floor. Wes remains standing in the aisle next, still looking around. Ah, I love this book. I can't find anything. Did you read back home? Yes, but I read my mother's book. You didn't have your own? No, not really. All the books she read were about vampires and all that crap. Hated those books. Michaela lifts her head out of her book. Wes? Yes? Why did you leave your home? The real reason? What do you mean? I told you. There was nothing for me anymore. Yeah, but that's the thing. You said there's nothing for you but you were just talking about reading your mother's book. And? What happened to your mum? Wes stops looking for books. He stops moving altogether, knowing where the conversation is going. Same as everybody else. She died. In the incident? No. Recently. 
Oh. Well, probably doesn't mean much coming from me, but sorry for your loss. Yeah, well, you don't really care, do you? What's that supposed to mean? Wes walks round towards the row Michaela is sitting in. That's the first time that you have said anything, even remotely endearing, and you failed miserably. Excuse me? I wonder, when was the day you lost human feeling? I bet you remember the exact hours and minutes. Michaela slowly gets up and takes a few steps towards Wes. Okay. I'm going to let you have that because there is clearly some feelings towards your mother that you need to let out. And the reason I don't like humans is because I have seen how feral we can be. If you lived here for 10 years, you would know. But no, you're a green who's been living in paradise compared to this place. Why did you leave? Because there was nothing. Oh my days. Answer the damn question. Did you kill your mother? Is that why? Is that why you ain't telling me? You accidentally pushed her down the stairs or something? Wes swings for Michaela in the heat of the moment. The weak swing is easily bobbed by Michaela. Oh shit. I'm sorry. I got angry and snapped. She gets close quarters and sweeps his legs. He hits the floor. Michaela then stomps to her bag for her machete. I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. There's no need for that. Please. Wes flinches. Exterior, desolate London, Twickenham, moments before. As nighttime arrives, Alex is still there, leaning on a wall, watching the library. But as, as he looks on, two figures come up behind him. One of the figures puts their hands over Alex's face and pulls him in. Alex wriggles violently and tries to scream at the top of his lungs. He then realises it's Brian and Ty. Hey, buddy. How's it going? How did you find me? It's what we do, whippersnapper. You've messed up big time. You know that. Your mother is at home crying her eyes out. You disrespected her and us by bolting like that. But I just wanted to help. You want to help? Quit being a little shit and come back with us right now. But I can't now. Are you taking a piss? I found the girl and the green I talked about. I swear, they're over there in the library. That's why I'm standing here trying to figure something out. You found them. <laughs> you, track them down. Well, I got lucky. I saw them before they saw me. Brian and Ty look at each other, thinking about what to do about the situation. Oh, I guess we should go in there and introduce ourselves properly this time. Got that right. Alex produces a little smirk, proud of himself. The fuck are you smiling at? Look, just because you tripped on what we all wanted doesn't mean you're off the hook. Come, let's do this. I'm out of this way. Ty gives Alex the cold shoulder. As he walks past, he brandishes his knives. Alex looks at Brian for some sort of forgiveness. Stay behind me. Brian and Alex follow time. Meanwhile, interior Twickenham Library continuous. Wes opens an eye. 
he's still alive, but he's lost a bit of his hair. The machete is still in close proximity. Before you even think that I won't slit your throat right here, know that the real reason I bought an extra bag was in case the whips killed you and couldn't carry your remains. What? Why did you want my remains? Michaela laughs. <laughs> you think I just drink water? Man, you're really green as grass, aren't you? I was going to eat you! Her voice echoes. You monster! Oh, get off your pedestal! Maybe you should read some of the books in here and see what humans did to each other and the rest of the world. War! Colonialism! Slavery! Infecting each other with diseases and thinking we're entitled to do whatever we want just because we own the world before any other species. Destroying the world with our greed, hate for everyone, inflicting pain on ourselves and the ground beneath us. We took survival by the fittest and broke the rule. Weak people like you can simply get a well-paying job and live the rest of your lives without a hitch. Here, in this life, it's the people that are willing to do whatever it takes that get to live. You call me a monster? <laughs> nah. I do what is necessary to stay alive. If you can't understand that, you probably never will. And you will die because of it. Maybe you should go back to your cop up in St Albans. Michaela looks up and down at Wes. Pathetic. Michaela relaxes her threatening stance. Wes sits there with defeated body language. Michaela turns round to put her machete away. If you don't want to say what happened to your mum, then fine. But don't lash out on me because you got some issues. Michaela turns round to find Wes gone. Wes? Michaela looks around. He's at the front door of the library, about to leave with his things. It's practically night. Where are you going? If all I am is potential feast for you, then I'm getting away from you as far as possible. Have a nice life. Wes opens the door to find Ty, Brian and Alex right in front of him. In a split second reaction, Wes tries to shut the door, but Ty is just that little bit faster. Ty dives towards the door and jams his knives into the gap, not allowing Wes to close the door. Hey, you must be that green I've heard so much about. Brian bursts forward and shoulder tackles the door. The brute force from Brian blows a significantly weaker Wes back. He hits the floor, but quickly tries to get up and flee. Brian reacts and tackles Wes to the ground like a cheetah and a gazelle. Get off me! Where do you think you're going? Ty walks past Brian, who has won the tussle. Alex looks on in the background. Keep him alive. She must know him in some way. Ty scopes the place out. Michaela is still by her row of books. Lucky for her, she hasn't been clocked yet. She takes a quick look to see the situation. Shit! I know you're here. Silence rules the building. Michaela stays put, not wanting to give away her position. The others listen intently, waiting for her to make a move. Wes continues to struggle and make noise. Will you shut him up? Brian shoves his bandana in Wes's mouth. 
I hope you remember me because I'm sure as hell remember you. I think about you every time I blink. It has come to my attention that you mercilessly killed two of our own the other day. You would have gotten away with it. That's if I didn't let one of ours live. You should have killed three. I wonder why you let him go. Surely you've encountered children before. Do you have some weakness to humans that had nothing to do with the incident? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I believe the incident was a man-made. That's why it's easy for me to kill. We're a cancer. I feel like every time I put my knife through someone, I'm doing the world a favor. I feel like you. I feel the same. Ty walks back to Wes and Brian. Who's this then? You made a friend? Aww, that's cute. Do you mind if we take him for a talk? If you want him, you know where to find us. We're just down the road. Get him up. Whip a snapper. Gabby's gear. Brian lifts Wes up and Alex pulls Wes's gear off his shoulders. Michaela still hasn't moved an inch. Are you sure you don't want to save him now? Going once. Going twice. All right, let's move. The whips and whippersnapper leave with Wes as a hostage. As the door closes, Michaela finally moves, but not towards the door. She instead takes her sweet time packing her gear, as if nothing happened. Exterior, Twickenham Library, continuous. Meanwhile, outside the library, Wes is struggling. Stop moving about. Keep that up and I'll ride so fast you won't be able to keep up. Ty, you got anything to tie this guy up with? Yeah. I take some rope out of his bag. Alex, grab the rope and tie this guy up. Alex abides and proceeds with the task. Wes stares at Alex as he ties his wrist. Brian turns the tie for the next move. So, how are we going to get her out? If I was her, anyway, that isn't the front door. We might as well go back for now. She'll come back for him. No, she won't. Of course she will. Why else would she be with you in the first place? You tell me. You're the savages. You say that like we should be offended. <laughs> Survival of the fittest, my man. All tied. Good. Let's get back. Wait. So we're just going to leave her? Why don't we just go in there and find her? If we go in there, not knowing exactly where she is, she'll have the advantage. So if you have a death wish, then sure, go in there like an idiot. Ty hops on his bike. Besides, we need to get you back to your damn mum. And you better rehearse an apology while we ride back. She'll be fine. Brian slaps Alex upside his head. Don't be disrespectful, you little shit. Be lucky that you still have your mother around. 
Alex dips his head after Brian's scolding. Come on, move it. The three whips ride away, pulling Wes by the hands via a thick, eroded rope. The speed forces Wes to make a jog just to keep up. As they leave, Michaela is somehow already out of the library. She comes into sight nowhere near the front of the library. After making sure the coast is clear, she begins to walk. But instead of following the way the wits went, she goes the complete opposite direction. And that's the end of this extract for Chalice and Blake. Can I have a round of applause from everyone? <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Carly, our dear writer, how did that feel to hear your work read so beautifully? Oh, I'm floated. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Honestly, from like last week as well, from like rehearsing yeah. it and just like, you know, hearing it again, it's just, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. That's, that's all I can think about. Yes. I really, I, I totally agree with you. Obviously, we did our rehearsals last week, and obviously, you know, the actors had a few moments with the script a few days, yeah. and some people were coming on board literally like the night before. And so it just felt like, you know, the, the essence of the urgency of the characters was just not there. But just hearing it now today, and obviously, some of the notes that we gave to Ore about just, you know, coming into her own with the character. The relationship um, that Anthony and Raymond had, you know, Brian and Ty is really, you know, you're, the way you read, especially um, Anthony, you really got a sense of how sinister and, and just the, the way you chose to play it, Raymond, um, Ty's character of a lot of laughter. And obviously mm. your stature, we can see you, you're, 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 you're a solid geezer, do you know what I mean? So obviously it adds to it, this, <laughs> this guy is like, could crush people, but obviously has this sort of, teddy bear you know <laughs> cynicism about him so that was really really fun and you know Alex you did a fantastic job as well being a sort of instant youngster that's kind of in a rock and a hard place you know you know what these men are about but at the same time you kind of it sounds like what's to come next is that you don't really want them to catch Michaela so there's some lovely complexity there. And obviously, thank you so much, Gabrielle, for keeping the glue of the story together with the narration and Sina. So Alex, um, sorry, not Alex, uh, Charlie, what are your sort of ambitions for the, the, the script? Because we just heard a section there. Mm. Um, that is kind of towards the end of, is this, this is a pilot episode. Talk to us about that. Um, well, I don't, <laughs> the personal philosophy is that I don't, write it unless I don't plan it to be made someday so um that's kind of just the way I go about things to be honest um it's, it's, I, I write other stuff for fun but like doing the script stuff is kind of just what I feel like should be shown like uh in just you know kind of a manifestation so to so to speak because everything else I write I can just like publish onto <laughs> like a site or something like that so it's obviously easy but this so what's your writing good. background? Um, I mean, yeah, I've been writing, well, scripts specifically for like about, uh, for about eight years now, but I used to, I've written, yeah, for base key since I was like 16, to be honest, um, whether it's just like articles in general, um, writing about sports, I've begun with that, and then I had a lot of time in my hands at one point, so I just started, uh, I just thought, let <laughs> me write a script for, for whatever, and this was, years before I even knew what a screenwriter software was. So 
Uh, another feature I have, I initially wrote that like uh, and formatted it on Microsoft Word. Uh, so that's, that was, that was fun. somewhere. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, exactly. It was just it was very tedious. Um, but yeah, but once I this is the first thing I wrote once I got myself a software. I just wanted it to be um, something I guess worthy of like the extra time I'm just going to get from just how easy it can format. Obviously, for those that know software, but yeah, so yeah, that's kind you of talk to me about yeah, your process in the sense of submitting it to festivals and obviously now you're. An award-winning writer with an award-winning <laughs> now at Buff. So, what's that trajectory or that journey been like for you? So, I actually uh, submitted to Buff uh, my first year of university. So that was like four or five years ago, okay. and that was again before I knew what screenwriting software was. <laughs> so, so it, uh, once I discovered that, I was like, mm, it, it probably won't make it, will it? So uh, yeah, so I took that out. I took that out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of an inside thing. Like uh, I've actually been participating, well, not participating, but like uh, watching and like uh, you know coming into these uh, live script readings that you guys have posted for the past four years. And uh, after last year, which was you know they've all been great in the times I've I've seen them, but. Um, that time I left, like feeling very, uh, like I don't know what the word is, but just like not despondent, but just like I don't know, like why, what am I doing this for, so to speak? Because I, I guess the answer I gained, I gained from that afterwards, uh, once I got home, was basically that just telling myself, "You're probably ready for this now," like because obviously before I definitely wasn't, and I went for university, like knowing what I wanted to do and properly working on the craft and you know those three years three four years were very substantial for me and uh, um, obviously this was in the middle of everything so yeah and this is kind of just <laughs> I saw it yeah I saw it last year and then obviously the submissions for this year came through and I was just like you know what, let's just go for it jump right in and then just uh it's, it's pretty that's pretty much it to be honest so I just wanted to catch this done <laughs> to be honest I didn't really care about it enough well, good. I mean, you know, you was up against some really strong talent, but I think what myself, Isis Davis, who's a writer now, she was a two-time Buff winner um, back in 2017, now writes yeah. for, in the writing staff for Killing Eve on BBC One and is starring in The Secret Garden with Colin Firth um, that's just come out. So she mm. really, really admired your originality. Um, her feedback was just that this is something that could be episodic. She'd love to tune in every week and see it. Um, she's also got a writing gig at the moment with Sky. So, you know, there's there's definitely massive, massive scope. I had a conversation about Chalice and Blade yesterday um, with a film and TV finance company. And as soon as I said apocalyptic drama yes. set in Hertfordshire with a, with a black female lead and they're, they're, they're all eating each other, they were like, can you send us the script? And I was like, I'll send you the link so you can tune in now. So hopefully <laughs> folks like Goldfinch are watching right now. So yeah, no, and that's what that's what it's about. It's really exciting to find those um, unique stories because I think when people think of British and they think of urban, they think of a stereotypical type of drama that's constantly being perpetuated. And I think what we're here to do at Buff is really sort of challenge those stereotypes, find those new stories, 
find new talent, I'm about to move on to some of the actors as well, you know, so we're not seeing the same reoccurring yeah. stories and themes. We're not seeing the same talent on and off screen as well. And kind of being that revolving door that invites emerging fresh new voices and talent. And mm -hmm. then hopefully, you know, five, 10 years time when your, you know, name is on the credits for, the, for some fantastic film things, you'll remember us come back, judge and help the next crop of talent come through. That's, yeah. yeah, that's exactly how we how we move here. Yeah, so we'll come to my lead, our leading lady, Ore. Ore, mm -hmm. talk to us about your experience of the script. What did you think about it? Loved it. It's so different. Um, I went to school in Twickenham. My secondary okay. school was in Twickenham. Um, so I really got from the description of the writing when she's saying, oh, look, at it, it's really beautiful. There's parts of Twickenham and also Richmond where you can sort of stand on the pavement and see like the, the river and things like that. So that's what I was kind of going for when I was reading the lines. I could really see the imagery and everything. And she is, I love how she starts off being like, well, at least in terms of this section, this very friendly, I felt, this very friendly type of character. And then you find out, actually, I was going to eat you. Like, it's just, <laughs> actually, I'm not as nice as you think I am. It's going to eat you. I'm hungry. <laughs> you know, charm you and everything. I loved it. Absolutely love it. It's great, great script. Nothing like I've ever um, read before. So, yeah, well done. Awesome. And Cena, obviously, playing Wes, he's kind of almost like antagonist, protagonist as well. We're not really sure how to feel about Wes as a character. What was it like for you um, getting into the character? Oh, I, I loved it. I thought it was, um, I thought he had so much uh, characterism in him, to be honest with you, in the sense of like, obviously what he's been through and, and where he is and where he's going. And he's kind of like all alone, but at the same time, he feels like confident in, in this girl who can possibly be, you know, you know, source of, uh, of goodness and everything going bad for him right now. And then to have it turned on him as, uh, as he finds out she's actually there to eat him. I, I think it's amazing. Um, I love the, I love sci-fi. So I love the setting and everything that it's in. I think it's really good. And, um, you know, the other characters, they all add so much to the story. It's got so much flavor. So I thought, I thought that was really good. Fantastic. Anthony, feeling good? Always. Fantastic. I mean, talk to us about your character, Brian, which is obviously a supporting role, but obviously I just love how measured you are and it feels like you wrote the script when you read. <laughs> You've got a really fantastic reading mm. style. Talk to us about your experience of Chalice and Blade. Thank you. Um, I just um, read the script. Um, top to bottom quite a few times, so I got a handle on who Brian was. Um, and it wasn't very difficult to arrive at the conclusion that he's a bit, he's a bit of muscle, really. Um, quite forthright, doesn't take fools very gladly, will just do what he wants to do to get the job done. And so I try to get him quite measured and clipped, but also quite menacing at the same time. Yeah, I think that really, really came through. Really, really beautiful delivery. Thank you, and Kamal. Script was brilliant, though. That's 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 part of the thing, isn't it? I mean, when you've got a good script, it's that's how it. it's done, isn't it? No, that's it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I posted up something on Twitter, just and it said, you know, without the scripts, you know, there's no work. We, you know, <laughs> writers are the lifeblood of this thing. You know. Say that, um, say that again. Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, just just for the people in the back. The script writers are the life force of this film. <laughs> no, it, it, it means it means a lot, and obviously Charlie. I mean, you know, just to hear it again, it was brilliant. All the effects were in the post. Kamal, yes. you 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 came on to uh, play Alex, who is obviously cast as quite young. I'm not sure of your age. I'm 24. You're 24. That's what yes. I'm saying. Big ups. Baby face finish. <laughs> yes. But then I'm like, he doesn't feel 16. So that's really, really cool that you've got that wide range of casts, maybe like 16 to 25. Mm. How was it playing, um, reading the role for Alex? Yeah, like um, when, when I received the script, um, I just find it really interesting um, that you could see particular themes within within his dialogue in the script that he's like most young people. Um, you know, wants to be involved, wants to feel like he's involved in something, but in in the same in the same breath, wants thinks his own way, um, and kind of disregarding if his if his mom is worried about where he is, which is you know true true to true to story for you know some young people, um, but also having innocence to him as well, whilst being you know, surrounded by these group of lads that he's moving with. Uh, it was really interesting to read, so I really enjoyed it. Great, fantastic. Raymond, I couldn't help but notice your pearly whites, man. I was like, damn. The smiles whilst delivering <laughs> such <laughs> evil. <laughs> Talk to me about playing Ty. Reading for Ty, even, the role of Ty. Oh, well, first things first. Charlie, lovely script, read it, thought to myself, okay, Ty is definitely the villain. <laughs> so as I was imagining, I was, I was at, it was weird. I was thinking of um, the film, I don't know if you guys are aware of that film, um, Mars with Ice Cube in it. I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that film where he, he plays, uh, he's, a, he's a prisoner and then he ends up saving everyone. I just had that in my head of, of playing Ty like that, who's, very serious, but obviously jokey. That's why sometimes I was laughing and, you know, being very serious at the same time. So I, I, I like I said, I enjoyed the script and I, I can't wait until you actually develop it even more. So, you know. Appreciate it. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> We've just got a few minutes left, Charlie. So I know I did sort of ask you in the beginning, what, what are your ambitions with the script now? Um, get it, mate. So what is the, give us the synopsis, is it a feature film or is it episodic TV? What do you want to happen? It's, it's, no, it's, it's firmly a feature, um, but it's interesting you think, it's, it's interesting you think of that um, as it potentially being episodic because um, for a lot of things I do and I write, I do like to have the, just the, the potential for other things whether it be following a certain person's other, uh, story like or in the background, because you could easily just, um, <laughs> for lack of a better show, uh, Walking Dead this and just like, you know, flashback to something else and cover like, you know, their lives beforehand or their lives just after the incident. Like there's so, there's so much to this. And, um, you know, since you said that a couple of minutes, honestly, guys, the fact that you have actually only read this <laughs> for like 14 or 16 pages or whatever it is, and they've managed to gather, you know, what everyone, what your own characters are about without reading the rest of it. And obviously only like, I think Claire's when you read, uh, all of us have read of it, read all of it. The fact that you guys have, you know, encapsulated, you know, pretty like on point is, um, 
like severely commendable. So um, honestly, shout to you guys and uh, and shout to Gabby for reading because uh, I always uh, yeah, like I said last week, I really wanted the woman to read it just because um, I initially created it just so I can see if I could write a dialogue for uh, a female protagonist and uh, and then I felt it would be right to have um, a woman uh, uh, speaking out really the description well. and yeah. so uh, yeah big up to you guys honestly I appreciate this um, it means a lot and Charlie on that note where can we find you where can we keep in touch with you on social media what's your handles on Instagram Twitter or Facebook um chili charlie 22 all spelled normally um like the pepper chili um that's on twitter and instagram but also uh fifth element underscore uk for my podcasting things as well can't hesitate on that i'm 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 i'm, a, I'm, all, I'm all over the place so uh, yeah any of those two is uh, is blessed but yeah i appreciate i appreciate it. it's good wonderful sina you're an actor click obviously where can we find you? Where can everybody connect with you <laughs> for you if they are looking for your cast type? It's uh, on Instagram at Cinemogul. Wonderful. Ore, where can we find you? Blackly, uh, female, <laughs> it's doing there now. Ore.a <laughs> Sanderson um, or Ore.a Sanderson on Facebook, Ore A Sanderson on uh, Twitter, and Lexandra. Take away the A, Alexandra31 on Instagram. Okay. Gabrielle, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram or on Twitter. It's GabrielleAXQ, and it's pretty much the same on everything. So, or Good, the- nice and easy. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Anthony, where can we find you? Um, probably best on Facebook and Instagram. Anthony Knight actor on uh, uh, Facebook, which because uh, I'm a client of the Daisy Hills company, so everything goes through. Okay. Shout Abby. Abby Abby Hills. Yes. Um, and obviously people will see you on this. Kamal, where can we look you up? Keep in touch. Yeah, so my Instagram is ITS, so it's Kamal K A M A H L, and it's the same on Twitter. Yeah. Wonderful. And last but not least, Raymond, where can we grab hold of you? We need to cast. So you can find you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, same name, King in Disguise. So that's K-I-N-G-I-N-D-I-S-G-U-I-S-E seven. And if you type in my name on um, Instagram, Raymond Dunbar, I should come up anyway. Guys, you guys are fantastic. I'm going to connect you guys anyway on email so that you can stay in touch with each other thereafter. And obviously, so Charlie has your details. So if this should go into development, I hope that he would come here as a first point of call looking for the cast. It's been a wonderful privilege. And I'm Claire again. This is the British Urban Film Festival script reading of Chalice and Blade. And I'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care, everyone. Take care. Bye. I'll be in touch on email. See you. Good afternoon and welcome to the script reading for Made in America. My name is Claire Anya Mosigwe. I'm the managing director of BUFF. BUFF, the British Urban Film Festival, is in its 15th year. So this is our 15th anniversary. We are so excited to be able to deliver this whole programme digitally this year for the first time ever. Obviously, COVID's happening. We would usually be reading these scripts in a live environment to a lovely, you know, audience to laugh, cry.
cry, react, with invitations sent to um, agents, producers, directors, other writers, and most importantly, financiers, so that these projects can go into development. Right now, we are going to be listening to the cast and the narrator for the beautiful script, award-winning script, Made in America, written by Brandon Kelly. But I also have a family and my wife needs her husband and my children need their father and I need them. Who is a man without a family of his own? Ah, we are winning the war, huh? We will return to our family soon. Today, we won a small battle in a war that will last a decade. There is much work left to do. The bodies are in the ground. We have their weapons and vehicles. Huh? Federico, go home to your family tomorrow. I will see you back here in two weeks. Raul moves out and Federico stands there like a pendejo. He makes that famous Latin noise and sees someone else to go and drink with and carries on. External, internal. Very modest house, San Salvador, next day. Raul sits at home with his small family, his lovely young wife, Manuela, his large for his age, 10-year-old son, Ricardo, and his prized seven-year-old daughter, Ricky. They are giving thanks with their heads bowed. Ricardo reaches for something on his sister's plate. Without opening her eye, she smacks his knuckles with the heavy end of her knife and pulls back and nurses his hand. As soon as they have finished praying. How long will you be staying home with us? How are my beauties doing in school? Well, Ricky is at the top of her class. And well, Ricardo is doing very well in boxing. Champion. But how are his grades? Not so good. A fighter without brains is an incomplete fighter. Do you understand me, son? After dinner, I want to hear you both read to me. Reading is very important. They miss you so much. I miss you. He reaches out and holds her hand. I will stay as long as I can. There is so much for me to do. There are so many who need help. We need you. There is a moment of silence as he looks around the table at their faces of his family. You are all my heart. I cherish every moment I spend with you. Our country is being destroyed by an evil government who has been financed by America. What kind of father and husband would I be if I didn't fight for freedom? Manuela gets up from the table. He follows her into the kitchen. Manuela, please understand who I am. You will always have my heart. I will never love anyone as I love you. But my country is at war against itself. There are families being torn apart. They are tortured, raped and murdered every day. Somebody has to make a stand against the tyranny. Why can't it be somebody else? He grabs her closely and starts to dance as he sings very bad English. 
My love must be a kind of blind love. I can't see anyone but you. She smiles and cries at the same time as she burrows her head in his chest. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. I only have eyes for you. And they dance. Angalon Ricky from around the corner watches slowly with a magical look on her face that only little girls possess. Internal bedroom night. Raoul makes love to his wife. Young, perfect love. External San Salvador, late night. The sky is filled with stars. The moon is glowing. The town seems peaceful. No one would believe there's a civil war going on. Internal bedroom later. Raoul holds Manuela tight. He gently touches her brow. It's a lovely night and their eyes are closed. They both stir when there is a knock at the front door. He gets up immediately and grabs his pistola while he puts on his shorts. Manuela looks terrified and he puts his finger to his lips for her to be silent as he moves to answer the door. As he approaches on the ready, he stands by the door quietly waiting. Raul, it's Federico. Open up. Raul hesitates and then opens the door. Raul, I have to talk to you. Raul looks closely at his comrade. Federico looks wired, scared, desperate. Tell me. They, they raided the camp. Uh, one of the soldiers knew me. Uh, they want to talk to us. Raul lowers and shakes his head. He knows what this means. You brought them here. Uh, I had to. They know where my family lives. And what about my family? Uh, they just want to talk to us. You know, <laughs> they won't harm our families. This is what the soldier told you. Yes, he's my friend. Raoul sticks his head outside for a look. Headlights from three vehicles light up and Raoul covers his eyes. Exit your property immediately with your hands in the air. Walk towards us, slowly. Tell your friend I have to get dressed and say goodbye to my family. Then I'll surrender. He needs to get dressed. He'll be right out. A moment of silence, and then. He has two minutes. Raul shuts the door in Federico's face. His wife stands there in terror. He quickly moves to the children's room. Ricky is sitting quietly up in bed, waiting for him. He enters and sits beside her. Do you know why I called you Ricky? She shakes her head because it means beautiful in here and in here. He touches her face and then presses his hand to her little chest. It also means warrior, to be not afraid. 
strong, faithful, loyal, smart, kind, and beautiful. You are a treasure. Don't ever forget. He moves to her sleeping brother's bed. Ricardo! Ricardo stirs awake. His father looks down at him sternly. You are the man of the house now. Protect your mother and sister. Raul doesn't wait for a response. He moves back to the front of the house where his wife is waiting, frightened to death. You know they'll be back for you and the kids at first light. As soon as the soldiers take me, you must leave. You know the plan? Take the first bus to Mexico. Use only your maiden name. Understand? Yes. <laughs> yes. Leave quietly out the back. The neighbors will be watching. I don't care what you have to do. You find a way, get to America safely and have a good life. Angelon Ricky again is standing by watching as her father smiles at her mother and touches her long black hair. Last night with you was worth a thousand deaths. He turns, blesses himself, kisses his fingers and touches the feet of our saviour on his cross on the wall. Manuela watches as he opens the door and leaves. Mommy, is daddy coming home? No. Go, go wake your brother. Hmm? And, and you pack your clothes like, like we practiced. Hmm? Come on. Be up. We have to leave. External, Raul's home, same time. Federico waits as Raul exits, wearing his shorts. You, you, you didn't get dressed. I couldn't decide what to wear to an execution. Hey, I just want information. They're not going to kill us. And how about the rest of our family at the base camp? Did they let any of them live? The look on Federico's face tells all. Tell them whatever you like. They're going to kill us both after a long night of torture. After... Then they're going to do the same to our families. Federico's eyes are in agony as he hears this reality. You should have gone home. Turn around with your hands in the air and walk towards us backwards, slowly. Raul does so, tall and proud. Federico shivers like a wounded animal. Internal, Riviera home shortly after. Manuela is moving through the house on a mission, gathering blankets, food and cash. From the bottom of a clay jar on the mantel above the fireplace, she grabs two more logs and throws them in the fire to keep the chimney smoking, as if they are still home. Clever girl. The kids join her as she takes one last look at her home. She sees something. The crucifix on the wall by the front door that her husband kissed before she never saw him again. She almost breaks down as she lifts it off the wall, but quickly catches hold of herself. She heads back towards her children and quietly ushers them out the back. External, San Salvador night. Manuela and her two children move quickly through the back streets of the city as they head to the bus station. External, bus station still dark. 
the small family arrives at the barren station, which consists of a sign, a bench, and a small building, which is not yet opened. Manuela moves her family around the back of the station, and they stay out of view, in between some trees and bushes. They all sit with their backs to the wall, and Manuela pulls a blanket on top of them. External bus station, crack of dawn. An old jalopy of a bus arrives at the station. There are now a few odd characters who are waiting as the bus comes to a stop. Manuela has her eyes close to her and her head rests against the top of Ricky's head. Ricky has her eyes open and her lips are quietly moving. Closer, she is singing. Out of the stars, out tonight. I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. I only have eyes for you, dear. External Mexico City night. Mucho activity going on in this lively town. The passengers empty the bus and spill out into the city. Manuela and children are the last ones off the bus. They quickly head into the station and straight to the bathroom. Internal run down hotel. Night. Manuela and her children enter. I'm so tired. She heads towards bed. No. Bath. Bath first. Come on. She sets down her bags and heads into the bathroom to run the water. Take off your clothes, Mum. Quickly. You both dirty them on the bus. I'm going to have to throw them away. Tonight you can both sleep in clean underwear. Tomorrow you can change into your spare clothes. The children follow her instructions while Manuela takes the bar of soap and runs it under the warm water to make bubbles. Later, the kids are both sound asleep in the twin-sized bed. Manuela is cleaned up and wearing a dress as she applies on the finishing touches to her makeup in the bathroom mirror. She quietly moves out of the room and closes the door behind her. She locks it with a key. External Mexico City night. Manuela exits her hotel and heads towards the action. Internal crowded bar night. Manuela enters and surveys the establishment. Her POV, city, city people having a great time, men and women who are accustomed to their nightlife. Manuela keeps looking until she spots an attractive woman who gets rejected by an older, handsome man who's found interest in a younger and prettier girl. In anger, typical Latin chick, she throws a drink on them both. The man pulls a hanky from his pocket and offers it to the other woman first. He grabs the jealous woman by the arm and ushers her out to the front door. He turns to the doorman and offers him a thousand pesos to keep her from re-entering. As soon as she tries to storm back in, the bouncer grabs her both by both arms and throws her out into the street. Colonel, Mexico, following day. A bus headed through the countryside on a two-lane highway. The front of the bus has a sign displayed at the top of the windshield, Chihuahua. Internal bus, same time. Manuela and her two children are eating apples at the back of the bus. Manuela is cutting slices with the knife she almost used the night before. There is one slice left for Ricky, who sees that her brother wanted and selfishly shakes her head. Manuela understands what Ricky just did, pretends to eat it herself, and off of Ricardo's look of disappointment, hands it over to him. Her and Ricky laugh at Ricardo as Ricardo devours it. Internal shit hotel night. Manuela is at the front desk dealing with an old skinny Hispanic man with messy white hair. She barely has enough money left to pay for a room. Internal hotel room night. The kids are bathed in their underpants and laying in bed. Manuela exits the bathroom all made up and ready for hunting. She heads for the front door. 
Mummy, I'm hungry. With both sets of hungry eyes on Manuela, it is more than she can bear. Go to sleep. Huh? And, and you dream about the amazing breakfast we're going to have tomorrow. Huh? This gives her children hope. Manuela opens the door and her smile quickly fades. Do not open this door. The kids nod as she closes the door and locks the door behind her. External, city of Chihuahua night. Not quite like Mexico City, but there's still plenty of activity about. She finds action at the bar, not far from the hotel and enters. Internal, crowded bar night. Manuela scans the place like the Terminator until her eyes land on a target. Her POV, a fat, boisterous guy, dressed in nice clothes, jewelry, and has a gold Rolex. She moves in like a wolf to its prey and takes a seat close to him. It's not long before he casts his eyes upon her and she wins him over in a moment with a put on smile. Internal, nice hotel room, late night. Manuela opens her eyes. She looks over to find herself laying next to the fat bastard from the bar. He is snoring and they are both naked. She climbs out of bed and gets dressed quietly. She looks on the dresser and sees his wallet loaded with cash next to his jewelry and Rolex watch. She grabs a loot and stuffs it in her bag, along with the watch, the jewels, and heads for the door. As she reaches to open the door, she finds herself face to face with the crucifix on the wall, not unlike the one she took from her own home. Her eyes well up with tears and she falls to her knees and begins to pray, eyes closed tightly. Please, Lord Jesus, forgive me for what I'm about to do. She blesses herself, stands, and reaches into her purse. And this time, she pulls out the pistola and heads back to the fat bastard. She grabs a pillow and is about to put it over his face. And suddenly, he stares awake. What are you doing? I'm sorry, but you slept with a married woman. And the sin must be atoned for. You didn't tell me. I have two small children that I have to take care of. I cannot pay for this aggression. So you are going to have to pay for the both of us. I have children too. Do you have a wife? Yes. Do they love you? Yes, of course. And you don't deserve she quickly shoves the pillow over his face and fires two bullets into the head. Nothing left but blood, feathers, and a smoking gun that she shoves back into her purse and heads out the door. Internal cheap hotel room night. Ricky opens her eyes and sits up to the sound of something. Her POV, the bathroom door is ajar. She climbs out of bed. Internal bathroom, same time. Her mother is face down, weeping, sitting in the tub, with her arms wrapped around her knees. External, mini market, same time. As soon as they exit, Ricardo reaches into his bag and takes out a soccer ball before catching up. They head towards the bus station where there is a bus with Tijuana written on the front of it. As they get closer, a Federale police car pulls up and two cops aggressively get out and heads towards the, the bus. Where they start questioning people climbing aboard. Manuela turns on a dime and heads for a taxi stand across the street. One of the cops takes notice and follows them. Manuela approaches the drivers that are all outside their cars, smoking and joking. 
I need to get to the cabbie. How much for the fare? Immediately, the cabbies, cabbies start bickering at each other, trying to give Manuela too high of a price. And then each one tries to underbid the other. She eyeballs a young man with long hair coming out of the tobacco shop and heads towards his faded yellow Volkswagen bug. Manuela moves towards him and out of the corner of her eye spots a cop who is on their tail. She keeps moving, playing it cool. The cop moves in fast and playfully steals the ball from Ricardo. Ricardo stops and turns to the Federale, who starts dribbling the ball in the air, not letting it touch the ground. The young man with the long hair takes notice and manoeuvres himself open for a pass. The cop passes the ball in the air and the VW driver catches it with his head and balances it before going into his own air dribble. Mexicans and soccer balls, what are you going to do, eh? Bystanders take notice as the two men play in the streets like a couple of kids on the playground. A loud whistle comes from the distance. Angelon, the other cop, angrily gestures for his partner to come back and help question the bus passengers. The soccer cop smiles good-naturedly and returns the ball to Ricardo. Everyone cheers and applauds. Viva la Mexico! Hey, muchacho, escúchame. If you want to be good, huh? you have to practice all day, every day. You understand? Huh? Ricardo nods his head, and Manuela, with a forced smile, ushers him and Ricky to the yellow VW bug. How much for a ride to Tecate? Mmm, Tecate. Mmm, me, that's as far as Tijuana. It's a full day's drive. She sets down her bag and whips up the money. I have cash. I'll pay you 50,000 pesos. Please. The bus is much cheaper. It's, it's right there. No more buses. We, we need to get there in a hurry. Huh? We have family waiting. Open. They climb in the back of the car with their three bags, and he helps by making room for their belongings in the front next to him. Wide, the car moves out as more cop cars pull up in front of the hotel Manuela visited the night before. As the bug drives by, Manuela peers out of the window towards the activity. External Mexico later in the day. What a beautiful country Mexico is. Internal, external, slug bug, traveling, same time. Titan Ricky, who's looking out the window. The driver singing along to Mexican music on the radio that Manuela and her children are not accustomed to. Manuela shares a sweet motherly smile with little Ricky. Wide, the little yellow car heads into the sunset like John fucking Wayne. External, Tecate, night. The car arrives near the end of the town and comes to a stop near the border where it is very quiet. The driver exits the car to help them unload. Manuela hands the driver the cash and he apprehensively accepts. He realizes that they're headed across. Are you going to be okay? Yes, thank you. They gather up their belongings and start to head towards the United States. I'll pray for you. Thank you. He smiles, a concerned smile, as they head off into the night. External stream, just outside the border at night. Manuela digs in her bag and fishes out the rope. She uses her knife to cut pieces off and secure each of the three plastic bags tightly. Then she uses longer pieces of the rope to secure one bag to each of them. She uses the last length of rope to tie around her and her children, holding them all together. They enter the stream, wading out until it is too deep for the kids to stand. 
Hold on to the soccer balls, huh? The kids quickly figure it out. They both now have floating devices. Manuela finally finds the water deep enough for her to use her ball as well. With some efforts, they make it to the other side and they climb out. They are all shivering. Take off your clothes, come on. The three undress and Manuela opens the bags and pulls out spare clothes for all of them and they dress. She retrieves the blankets, wraps one around each of them. Then she grabs the flashlight with her pistola and grabs them tightly, each in her, each in her, of her hand, in each of her hands. They leave the bags, balls and wet clothes behind as they venture forward. External barbed wire, fence, night. They arrive and when Manuela removes their three blankets, gathers them together and throws them on top of the fence. She sends Ricky over first, who easily scales up and down the other side. Then she sends Ricardo up. He tries like hell, but he can't pull himself up to the top. She uses all of her strength to try and lift him, but he's just too heavy. She gets down on her hands and knees and has him stand on her back to climb over. It ain't happening. He's trying to jump and his mother is in pain, trying to sustain his weight. From nowhere, a soccer ball drops right next to her as the weight of her son is lifted. She looks up and sees the driver of the VW lifting her son over the fence. Manuela is speechless as he helps her back up. I remembered what my grandmother always said, first help, then pray. He smiles and begins to assist Manuela. She turns quickly and hugs him tightly before climbing over herself. The driver lifts the blankets over the top of the fence as well. Manuela quickly wraps them around the children again and then herself. Where are you heading? Los Angeles. Muertos Pass is only a couple of miles. It lets out a mission road. Follow that to Highway 188. You'll find someone who won't mind taking a nice family. Avoid vans with no windows. You tried before? Yes, twice. Border Patrol caught me both times. What did they say? Better luck next time. She chuckled as he reaches for the soccer ball and tosses it to Ricardo. Remember what the Federale told you? Practice all day, every day. That means for everything you do, all of you. You can keep it if you like. You left me two more like that. Safe passage. Wait, what's your name? Gabriel. Like the angel. Gabriel holds his index and thumb close together as he walks off into the night. All good comes from above. Give yourselves a round of applause. Oh my God. Well Didn't it just feel so beautiful this time around? Oh my goodness, it felt so... so... I felt yeah. really so big, Sophia, like big, big emotions, man. It's really hard not to break down with this script, especially yeah. for, for us being Latinas. It's like, exactly. it's, it's I, I really so hard not to break it. down. Yeah, yes. Yeah, oh, don't, don't, don't. Don't take much to set me off. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a big, big, big heart. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to read this. I want so that people understand 
because the writer's not here to say it for himself. So I'm just going to read the synopsis and then I'm going to read about his charity and then we're going to talk about the script and your process, yeah, as actors. So Made in America, written by Brandon Kelly. Made in America is about a real girl named Ricky Rivera, whose life parallels the inception of a notorious MS-13. From having a father who fought as a guerrilla soldier in El Salvador's civil war, her challenging escape with her mother into America and growing up on the violent streets of East LA as an active gang member. Ricky was exposed to so much, but somehow managed to never allow her integrity to be compromised, even when facing perilous conditions. In the end, she becomes pregnant and is forced to emulate the path of her past to escape the treacherous world she inherited in order to rescue her unborn child from the chains of a similar fate. Just a few words here from Brian, uh, Brendan Kelly. Thank you for reaching out with such great news. We are delighted to take part in your grand festival, wishing you all safety and good health. And his charity, Make the World a Better Place, One Kid at a Time, is called the Kelly superheroes.com giving kids a fighting chance in conjunction with kelly superheroes is getting ready to launch our next production we are working with kids from coachella valley to continue and further develop our after school program to provide children who are interested in, in the performing arts uh, with the opportunity to develop their skills sets necessary for future careers in the entertainment industry we are 501c3 nonprofit that has an active has been active for a decade in fighting a war against drugs, gangs, and apathy by keeping kids off the street and out of the system. So there you have it. Thank you so much, Brandon. I hope that you and some of the young people are watching from LA. I will come to, I, I would, I'm gonna to come to you, Sophia. Um, just tell us a bit about your background. So your nationality, what you've been doing as an actress and why this script spoke to you? Why did you agree to be involved in this reading? Okay, so my name is Sofia. I am 26 and I'm an actress from Argentina. Uh, I grew up there, I've been, I lived there my whole life. So I, I've only been living in the UK for a bit less than two years. So I think I, I find, I, I just found this script so moving because I think all of us as actors that come from that background can identify in one way or another. I just think that reading the whole script um, from the beginning till the end, it's just really hard not to break down, but feel lifted at the same time, like that sort of contradiction was there. Um, and I just think it's so important to find material that represents different perspectives and um, I just I just felt really connected to it. My country has gone through military dis dictatorships as well before well before I was born, but it is something that is still very present in in the hearts of the people and and of generations that came before us. And I just think there's so many things. And the fact that this script is based on on a true, you know, uh, historical context um, mm. is just I think is so important that we tell the stories that are not usually told is not is not the same kind of story mm. i connected a lot with my character um i was i felt so blessed to get to tell that story she's a strong woman she is taking care of her family uh, and she is still you know vulnerable and allows herself time to 
break down when she needs to, but get herself back up immediately. Um, and I just think, you know, it's such a huge like role model to be able to to see women being represented in that light and, and for just how much uh, women have contributed to the strength of everyone as as human beings. I just think it was a it was a beautiful opportunity and I'm really thankful to, to have been a part of it. Thank you so much for reading so beautifully and for sharing your background as well. And I love the word there that you use about contradictions, because I think that is what makes us human, isn't it? You know, what is good? What is bad? She just shot a man in the face, you know, but she's also trying to save herself and her children, you know, and then this angel in, 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 in human form, this driver has helped her across the bridge and, um, spiritually we have angels don't we every time something goes well I don't know if you guys are religious but I grew up religious and um you know God is ever present but then there's sometimes where it's like where is God in all of this how comes I'm in this situation in the first place to have to you know lean on 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 God-like figures right and to have to hope and pray and do things that are termed as good and bad you know where is that moral spectrum and I think this script even just in this extract that we've read together really kind of questions our morality you know is she a good mum for leaving the children there alone is she not um the understanding that once her husband Raul surrenders what her fate is she has very little time to cry and that's the mm -hmm. the notes that I gave you last week you know after that situation she knows she's got to strap up those boots put on her bra extra tight and you know go into this world and and protect those children by any means necessary and I think you embodied her character vocally so so beautifully so thank you so much John you're just so multi-talented from the glasses to the wardrobe changes there <laughs> yeah. yeah loved it like I, was backstage. I loved it as well yeah. I was like oh I don't need this <laughs> <laughs> brilliant 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 and um talk to us about your nationality what you thought when um your agent joe same as sophia sent you over the, i think sorry actually it's alex that's with uh, joe isn't it and sophia yeah, yeah. Right, so john when you received the script yeah. what were your first thoughts about the characters that you were reading for um i was really excited i, I didn't even think about the characters i was reading for to be honest i just wanted to Usually when I when I get a script, I just want to get a feel for every single character and not kind of be biased, be like, oh, you know, I'm reading for this character. Let me hurry up to the page I need to go to or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, no, for me, it was it was beautiful. Uh, from from the first page, I was like, I can't put this down. I was, I was like, I thought I was going to have an early night. I was like, no, because <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I love seeing, similar to, to Sophia, I love seeing like the different nationalities in the script. You know, we go from El Salvador to Mexico and, and all throughout the whole story, there's different nationalities there. And so I think that's really important and to see um, myself and my friends, my family represented in, in one shape or another. Um, so that Where really are cool. your folks from, John? Um, my dad, he's from Ecuador and my mom is from Colombia. Nice. So I'm half and half. Yeah, and yeah. you know, throughout my childhood, I lived two years when I was younger in Colombia, like I studied there and everything um family sort of planned to move out there so you know I got to understand my culture a lot more and and that life and I think it was it was really beautifully captured in in the in those pages um and you know at the same time like Colombia right now is like going through 
a lot of like civil war. It's been going on for decades and decades. So, you know, I think, yeah, as, as a Latino, we can all like, um, we can all relate to this script. Um, and some something that Sophia was saying like about, you know, we often make like the wrong decisions for the right reasons. And when I was reading the script, you know, we, we try not to judge our characters. That's that's not the way we, we should think as actors, you know, we don't judge our characters. So but it's 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 such a like like a conflict, you know, seeing this mother do like, like murder. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, and, <laughs> yeah. And and it's like she comes back home and she's she's trying so hard. Oh, it's that's like that's a fear, man. I, I wanted to break down when I was reading it because you can really picture yourself in every single character's shoes. So yeah, just humble to, to have the script and be able to take part in this. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Veronica, our narrator, our child actress, our, our everything, holding the glue of the script. The, the stage directions, which for me, because you know, in previous reads, we have cut out a chunk of it. Mm. If it gets too long and it doesn't feel that it adds to the to the to the drama of the uh, dialogue, but I felt that the stage directions had a voice of its own, and that's why I was so thrilled when you offered to to read that part as well. Yeah, we've so worked together. Veronica has starred in my movie No Shade, which is on um, Amazon Prime, and yeah, will be available throughout the festival as well. So I've worked with you before, and I know how committed to the arts you are. Talk to me about your experience of the script. Well, um, funnily enough, I actually have um, Colombian heritage. Um, when I was young, I was fascinated with um, Hispanic language and I followed that up in school because it's part of the curriculum. You can choose, you know, French, German, Spanish. And I always bonded with the warmth of um, Spanish culture. Um, and, and I pursued that up into uh, higher education and I went and lived in Spain for two years. And um, I was absolutely fascinated um, with the experience that I had there. And it wasn't actually until after I returned that my mother told me that I had Colombian heritage, which obviously is not the European side of the Hispanic culture, um, but it was heritage that I didn't even know was in my blood and in my veins. Um, so after that, I had, I had like an, an additional connection to trying to understand who I was and where I came from. And I'd never met my grandmother. So to understand that she you know, was from Colombia, which was a side of the world I'd never even been to, um, fascinated me. Um, when I saw the opportunity to, to read this script, it, 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 I know I've got to admit in some sense, I was curious to see if there was anything I could pick up there, anything I could learn. Um, and having a small experience myself of just going to Spain, I think, um, profiling is a huge thing um, when you go through customs. You know, I got pulled to a side, somebody thought that I was Colombiana. Um, and when they found out that I had a British passport, they didn't even stop me. They were just like, oh, don't worry, carry on. So the prejudice is still prevalent. You know, the, the hardships that um, the people in Latina culture have to deal with is, is, is alive and well, unfortunately. And we know that much of what we see in America. Um, as I was saying just before we started, you know, the persecution, the, you know, the hardships that, 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 ha that are happening over in, in, in Mexico um, with America, they, they break your heart and it's outside of your ability to do anything with. When I read through the script again, like John, start to finish, I could not put it down. Um, there was 
a range of emotions. There was there was an appreciation of the bittersweet journey that the characters had. There was mourning. You were in conflict because you understood that the hardships that happened to the parents were necessary for their children to survive, and you understood how that would set up the children, you know, in their life forever. And 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 that's that's real life, and and it, that comes across beautifully in the script. So. Um, it's a it's, it's it's a great honor to be able to you know have the privilege to read it and i can understand why it's award-winning because it's it doesn't shy away from the savageries of life and it, and it it lays things out quite clearly and it depicts the characters in a way that really honors the struggle that's happening right now and in history so yeah that's me and really enjoyed it and reading with you guys as well yeah absolutely and last but by no means least um alex Fantastic, fantastic oh. read. Thank you so much. And what's your experiences, your background and your oh, connection yeah. to the thank, thank you. Like, uh, I'm just like uh, astonished by all of you guys' thoughts. Like, uh, are very like thought provoking, first of all. Like, uh, so yeah, um, I'm Argentinian as well. I come from up north though. I come from like a, a, a small province. And I actually, um, I, I lived through like some of some of those experiences, I mean, in different like contexts, but I went to the US when I was like 17. And that's where I that's where I got my training for for a couple of years, I was able to study there. Uh, because I, I taught English, like in my country, and because I was lucky enough that like a previous teacher, um, like a choir teacher, uh, she and her husband, uh, hosted me for two years uh, there in California. So I was able to like live there. Uh, but also I got to be in a place that was uh, Santa Maria in California, where like a big part of the population is Mexican. Um, and I worked, I worked in the strawberry fields like for a bit. Uh, and I met a lot of people, a lot of people, not only from Mexico, from like Nicaragua, from uh, El Salvador and talking to them, um, I think was, was amazing because uh, I remember that they would like uh, look at my hands and be like, oh, those are like baby hands, <laughs> right? And they would look at theirs and they had like all like the, uh, their hands. You could see all the work in those hands, you know? Um, and I think uh, this script and this story and all of those uh, experiences really like highlight the resilience and how admirable it is to, to, be, an, to be an illegal immigrant. It, like in, in, in that sense, uh, to like immigrate into a country uh, against the odds when like the odds are so highly like against you. I think it's a uh, such a such an act of of not only bravery but necessity that is very uh, tangible. Um, I think it's a problem, um, and and it's a it's like a thing that happens uh, everywhere that people are like forced to move away from their countries. But I think I have nothing but like the deepest, deepest of respects uh, for doing that um, for that. Yeah. So uh, after I finished my training in California, <laughs> I actually, I couldn't get a work visa because uh, uh, I was on a student visa. So yeah, after like doing a lot of research, because that's also part of the problem. It's like the legal route is so thing like complicated you know like like if you want to go the right way if you want to get the papers it's not like it's not like oh i'm just gonna like do it legally you know it's like so so difficult mm. so that leaves like um 
very few alternatives, especially with the reality right now that we have like in Latin America, where a lot of the countries are stricken by like extreme corruption and uh, extreme like, like insecurities and really like force people out of their countries. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, after that, I moved to London. Um, and, and yeah, I think I, I really like connected with the script uh, from the start. And I also, I thought it was really cool the interaction that, that uh, Manuela has with the driver uh, when, when he helps her, because I feel like um, when, you lose some, when you lose someone, um, you find them in other points, like in your life. I feel like in some ways, when you lose someone, like you, you find that goodness in someone else. And it's like, a, it's a cycle of, of good. So I thought that was really cool. You know, in a way I felt like Gabriel was like um, the universe's uh, way of like introducing that, that, um, I don't know, that, that, that karma, right? That, that like good, yeah, good, yeah. Maybe good stuff. Maybe make up for Raul's absence in her life. Yeah, that's yeah. man and, 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 and that, safety and that support, yeah. yeah. That, that good is present in adversity. So anyways, that's it. That's all I got, sorry. Yeah, I no, 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 it's, 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 it's absolutely fascinating. I get the sense that we could really go into this because, you know, that, that this script for me, Made in America, really has that intersection because it is a true story yeah. um, of us being able to walk away as the audience and not be like, oh, that was great and see you later. You know, yeah. if, this, if we saw this on, sc on screen, which is why I and the judges chose this um, script as one of the three winners this year, is yeah. that my mind was still racing. You know, like, what, does, yeah. what is little Ricardo thinking? Does he miss his dad? Yeah. When he grows up playing football, he's always going to remember what that driver told him, like practice every day. Practice every day. Like these are the things that, because we're so impressionable from the ages of one to seven, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. they're at that age and stage where they're absorbing everything and they're going to sadly copy everything, whether that's the good and the mm -hmm. bad. And obviously that's what happens later down the road as little Ricky becomes a woman in her own right with her own pregnancy, who's mm -hmm. about to bring, you know, that second, third generation into the world. So yeah oh yeah so uh <laughs> the last thing uh yeah sorry uh the like the people who worked in the fields were absolutely like uh really they they worked a lot they worked like over like 13 hour shift 14 hour shifts no matter like how bad the pollution was like they like they were like wearing masks like with the smoke and stuff so anyways that that's it clearly clearly revolutionary and the struggles that latino people everywhere have experienced i resonate with as an african i think that we have more similarities than differences in terms of our levels of struggle and how we come to be who we are wherever we are and i think on that note i just want to thank you guys again if you could quickly just tell us where your Instagrams and Twitters are. I'm going to start with ladies first. So, Sophia, where can we keep in touch with you as an actress? So I'm on Instagram and Twitter at um, I'm Sophia Maffei. And I'm also on YouTube as Sophia Maffei, just for the double F. Perfect. Veronica? Um, I'm predominantly on Twitter. That's VJ tweeting. Um, and if you want to find me on Instagram, that's Veronica underscore Jean underscore Trickett. Trickett is T-R-I-C-K-E-T-T. -T. Thank you. And John? 
Yep, I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm on all the socials, but if you, if you want to get in touch on at uh, J-O-N-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z underscore, that's John Gutierrez. Yeah. Thank you. And Alex? Yeah, at Alex Grossman. That's it, on Instagram. Right, and let's all continue the conversation. Follow yeah. each other. Thank you guys, the audience, for watching. We hope that you have enjoyed this reading of Made in America, written by Brandon Kelly. I'm Claire Anyamo Sigwe, and you've been watching the British Urban Film Festival. Have a nice day, afternoon, evening. Take care. Thanks, okay. bye guys. Bye. Thank you guys so much. Hi, good afternoon and welcome to the British Urban Film Festival. I'm Claire Anyamo Sigwe and this is the script reading for our third script, which is Hellwater, written by Tim Mallon. Got the cast here today who are reading for us. They'll introduce themselves at the end of the read. We're going to go straight for it. So enjoy it. 20 minute read and um, take it away. Hell Water by Tim Mallon. Eventually, Will nods. Jamie, after a long pause, nods. Will, Isaac, Gareth and Chris, they look away. Will steps off the platform. Jamie spits. Farmhouse, approach, day. Overcast, big sky, rocky outcrops in the distance, reach up like hands gasping for air. Will treks down the dirt track toward his old home, Hell Water Farm. Stopping at a singular beech tree, a small smile crosses Will as he looks upon a deer chomping grass on the edge of a dense prehistoric wood. Mist floats in the cold morning air. Someone watches Will from the woodland, sinister, heavy breathing. Suddenly the animal bolts as one massive SUV speeds down the dirt lane, disappearing in the dust. Hellwater Farm Morning. The SUV arrives at Hellwater Farm, a modest collection of structures centered around the Victorian Greystone farmhouse. Paxton, late 30s, ex-UK military, northern and grizzled, hops out of the front passenger side, opening the rear door of the SUV emblazoned with San Colino. A razor-sharp black El Patron Stretson extends from leather interior. It belongs to Van Horn, 50s American corporate gunslinger who exits the vehicle with purpose. He admires the view directly in front of the house, a massive idyllic green pasture, sheep graze. Last grass country. Patson sniffs, cold, the door of the farmhouse swings open. Sarah Jones, mid-twenties, mixed race, determined, homesteader, stands in the doorway, hands on hips. Good morning to you, Mrs. Jones. Our deepest condolences at this trying time. I must say, it was a lovely service. Van Horn waves and Paxton brings out from the rear of the SUV a massive gift basket, very American. I'm not interested. This is just a symbol of how we are to lose the great Ezekiel Jones. Just leave it there in the middle of the driveway? Yeah, I'll come get them. I've got a full to-do list, as you can imagine. Speaking of to-do lists, had an opportunity to think over my offer. Van Horn steps forward. Sarah squares up in the doorframe. She's not for yielding. Van Horn smiles, raises his hands, gentle. 
Would you like to discuss this over tea? Milk's bad. This offer is time sensitive. You, you understand that we were in discussions with your late father before his demise. Nothing from Sarah. Paxson steps forward to Van Horn's side, cocksure. Until the war is read, the day after tomorrow, I cannot discuss anything. Of course. That's why I'll be at the reading, Mrs. Jones. It's a private reading. Your father included us. My legal team were informed. I'll be there personally. Foot falls on gravel. Paxton looks up. Will appears. He clocks Sarah, smiles. Sarah doesn't. Ugly silence. Van Horn slithers. Good morning, sir. Mr. Jones, I presume. Last time I checked. And you are? Clayton Van Horn, Esquire. Van Horn flicks a business card through his fingers and passes it to Will. The prodigal son has returned. You didn't tell me your brother was coming back. Because I didn't know. Sarah shoots a nice look at Will. Paxton, help him with his bags. Will puts a hand out, stopping. No need for a standoff. My company were interested in buying a farm. We were in discussions with your father. You're selling, Sarah. Sarah's tight-lipped, anger bubbling. She gives up her ground and walks towards her brother. He smiles at her when she slogs him in the face, popping like a firework on his cheek. Will stumbles, but remains steady. Van Horn gets the message. We better leave you two to figure this out. Sir, ma'am? Van Horn motions and he and Paxton leap back into the car, kicking gravel as it spreads, speeds away. Will has turned back to see Sarah disappear into the house, massaging his jaw. Farmhouse day. A bag of peas crunches on a worn coffee table. Will picks it up, holding it against his purpling jawbone. Sarah bustles around the outdated farmhouse, cleaning up frantically. You missed the funeral. That was yesterday. I missed my train. Uh-huh. Why do you need the gun now? Will strides over to the door and removes a shotgun hidden behind wax raincoats. Better safe than sorry. Would you rather me not have it? An awkward pause. <laughs> Didn't think so. Will unloads it, lining shells on the windowsill. I heard San Colina were in the UK, now buying up land. Didn't think they were this far west. Dad's not even cold in the ground and they come knocking. That's Americans for you. Sarah wipes perspiration from her brow, scoffs. Any update with? They're working on it. No leads. You'd think armed robbers, they'd be combing this countryside. It was national news for Christ's sakes. I'm sure if you'd been here, you'd be leading the charge. I'm here now. Are you really? I thought I finally cracked. I can't change the past, but I can help with all of this. With Dad. The police are handling it. Will, they don't need your help. Dad, he showed me how to look after this place. I'm sorry, but you're not needed. Did Dad ask about me? 
Sarah stops, holds her shaking hand, sighs, then. He was more concerned about keeping this place afloat. Will nods, gripping the duffel, white knuckles. Sarah glances out the window to see. A sheep looking back at her, chewing cud, unimpressed. They're out again! Hellwater Farm Day. Sheep strut about like they own the place. Sarah bursts out of the house, a few skit away from the door. She rings a large cast iron belt mounted to the wall. Two farmhands. Mahmoud, late 20s, Syrian, skinny, payos, and June, early 40s, Korean, overachieving alcoholic, run from around the corner. The duo rushes to the sheet metal door of the barn, opening with ease. Barn day. Mahmoud fires up a quad bike. June hops on a second. Sarah climbs on the back of June's June's. Will enters. Suddenly, Sergio, a sprightly Australian shepherd, confronts Will with a deep growling bark. Tall, straight. Sarah calls the dog to heel. Come on, Sergio. Will leaps on the back of Mahmoud's and with a sputter and shunt, they're off. Hellwater Farm. Will and Mahmoud's quad cuts out of the barn with an arithmetic hum. June and Sarah have already begun rounding up the sheep. Mahmoud opens a small holding padlock while June drives the sheep in. Sergio bounds out, breaking the land speed record. Sheep scatter. The chaos is organized like a murmuration of machine and mutton. Mahmoud closes the padlock and turns to Will. He speaks through a thick Syrian accent. More sheep up the hill. June looks at Will, takes a drink, shoots him a nod of approval as he and Mahmoud drives up the hill. Hellwater Farm fields day. Mahmoud powers up the incline, arriving at the crest of the hill when Will sees something and taps Mahmoud on the shoulder, stopping him. Smashed fence posts are scattered over the land. Three are down. Will steps off the quad and picks up one of the shattered posts. Sarah and June arrive on the scene. These have been done deliberately. Sarah looks at the post, trying to affix one back to its destroyed stump. Will talks through it, reconstructing the scene. Look, it's been hit with a sledgehammer to loosen it up. Then they just pushed it over. And who do you think they are? People. People don't like us around here. Never have. These are all posts. The whole farm is falling apart. Will grabs another post, sending a massive thick splinter into his hand. Ah, oh, fuck. Will oh, pulls well the... done. You know what, Sarah? Calm down. Come on. Sarah goes to her quad. Mahmoud and June look at each other. Not really sure what to do. Mahmoud, socially awkward, makes the first move. Mahmoud. Mahmoud gives us a wave. June rolls his eyes at this Syrian co-worker speaking with an American accent. You'll have to excuse him. He's seen some shit. June, I'd shake your hand, but... June motions to Will's hand. Farmhouse, kitchen, day. Will's bloody hand raised up. With his free hand, he opens the junk drawer, rifles around, then produces a bottle of superglue on the counter. June is making tea, four cups, 
as a splash of booze from his hip flask to his brew, Will looks at June, then the flask. May I? Yes, Madam Sarah. Just call me Sarah, please, Mahmood. You make me sound like a madam. Uh, that is the point. Uh, that is bad. I don't understand. She means you make her sound like she runs a whorehouse. In English, of course. She doesn't understand Syrian politeness. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. Worth a shot. Where did you learn to speak Arabic? Afghanistan, seven years. Hmm. Meanwhile, Dad and I are left to look after this place. Can you believe this? Running off and without saying even a goodbye. Sarah's attempt at a joke goes down like a lead balloon. June doesn't say a word. Next is tea. Will nods, drinking his tea as he dresses his wound. I was going to help you with that. It's appreciated, but unnecessary. Well, I wouldn't have got blood on the side. I said goodbye. June, do you want to be here when they come? Who? Coopers. The Coopers. A lot of things have changed here since you left. Mamou's heading to get the post in town. If you want to be useful, go and help him. How much to replace the ones we have? Mamou's got it. Just stay out of trouble, okay? I'm a changed man. I wouldn't hurt a fly. What are you doing? Trying to make myself look presentable. I was a kid when you left. You know that, right? I know. You know. I had to go through a lot. We were desperate. I did and said things that I really regret. Bad decisions live in moments of desperation. Yeah. But I also know there isn't a lot I can say or do other than that I want to make amends and do right by you. Let's just get through the next few days, all right? I assume you're staying. For a little. Good. Mahmood's waiting. Hellwater Farm Shed Day. Will and Mahmood open up a shed on the far side of the farm. The Ford Ranger, being held together by cable ties, duct tape and prayers, sits in the middle of the shed. In a flash, Will sees Ezekiel standing next to it, but like mist, it clears rapidly. Will starts the engine and after some coaxing, it turns over like a charm. Ah, still got it. <laughs> My father loved John Denver. He was an engineer and his teacher was an American from Colorado. My father would tell me that he missed the mountains, yet he never went. He just had this image in his head of snow in John Denver. Kakokaipu. Uh, sorry, I don't know that word. It's Hawaiian. It's this feeling of longing for a, piece, a place you've never been, been to. <laughs> oh, yes, that's it. Mister, but never went. But you made it out. 
It wasn't easy. You got much family here? Just me. It must have been. It's okay. <laughs> English is my. It's fine. I live in England now. I only speak to Allah like that. Then English it is. Hellwater Street Day. The range. The ranger drives into Hellwater, a one-horse town. Will looks through a mucky windscreen. Home, but not as he remembers. As they weave through the tiny streets of the market town, they come to the pub at the core, the establishment formerly known as the King's Arms. The ranger stops at a set of temporary traffic lights. When I used to live here, this place was a shithole. And now? It's just a different shithole. You can go out at night here and nothing will happen. It's safe. You can't put the price on that. Will parks the car directly in front of a painted billboard sponsoring the rebirth of the countryside, Spire Rejuvenation. Then below it, in tiny writing, Spire Rejuvenation LLC is a wholly owned subsidiary of San Colino Incorporate. The billboard is starting to peel. Country store day. Mahmoud is inspecting fence posts and other equipment. He nurses 15 quid in his hand. He puts some back, grabs some more, debates to himself. Will casually browses alongside. Other shoppers watch the spectacle of a Syrian and a black man in a small town. All stare in that British non-confrontational manner. Will can see Mahmoud is struggling and hands him a stack of cash, about 60 quid. Oh no, this is fine. Take the money, Mahmoud. No, Matt, uh, Sarah will be upset. I'll handle her. Does it get any better? It never changes. I thought it was me. No, it's not you. I've lived here my whole life and still feel like an outsider. Who knew fence posts could be so heavy, eh? Farmhouse, Sarah's room, day. <clears throat> Sarah looks at herself in the mirror, dressed extremely well. Her hair has been tamed, tight and in a ponytail. She's all business with no room for error. Hellwater Farm day. June is in a waistcoat with shirt sleeves rolled up and unbothered by the January cold. Stands to the left of the door as a car crunches on gravel. Two small white vans follow. Sarah steps out of the house, confused at the extra vehicles. The car comes to a stop and out climbs John Cooper Jr., 50s, another ginger short ass, king of Hellwater, from the driver's seat. His passenger, Colin Taylor Cooper, early 30s, an arrogantly athletic, rabid sold solicitor and nephew of John, clambers out with a leather briefcase. Why the fuck is Colin here? I don't know who that is. The guy with John, he was Dad's solicitor. She's a beaut. Nice to see you've been taking care of us, Sarah. We're curious to know what you wish to discuss, Mayor. I don't believe you've had the pleasure. This is June Home. He helps me with the work around here, along with the books. It's the money bags. I'm good with money. Shall we walk? What's all this? It's a part of my proposal. Then we can stay here. 
With all due respect, I don't like strangers on my property. Colin? We wanted to bring you up to speed informally on what was discussed with your father. Tell me, Colin, what are they doing here? Your father was in the early stages of an agreement with the town of the future of Hellwater Farm. Hellwater Farm is a great staple of our community and Ezekiel was a great steward of it. He owned it. It was given to him legally by your father, John. As a means of safeguarding a hostile acquisition, Ezekiel agreed that for the sake of the farm, a partnership be formed. The town and the Joneses. Partnership? Naturally, you'd be compensated for the share we'd be purchasing. You know, the town will take over the day-to-day -day operation of the farm as a community farm, something that benefits everyone. These men are merely surveying to take stock of any repairs that need to be made. Repairs? As in they're going to be deducted off my share, I assume. Sarah, come on, you think I'm trying to rob you blind? No, just rob me with my eyes wide open. I merely want to ensure that the land is looked after. It's something both of our fathers would have wanted. San Colino. What about them? They're the elephant in the room. They've been at my doorstep every day since Dad was shot. And now they're coming to the will reading. Your father has something for them. It was his wish. All I'm asking, Sarah, is that you consider our offer. With your personal solvency of concern, this might be a happy medium than selling externally. The last person I need commenting about my finances is you, Colin Taylor Cooper. We're quite solvent, thank you very much. The farm is not for sale. Not to San Colino, not to town, and definitely not to you, John Cooper. Sarah, I understand you're angry. Please, get off my farm. Now! John looks to Colin. He flings back a nod. Colin throws a hand in the air and the, and the surveyors pack up quickly. Sarah turns and heads back into the house. June stands guard. John's car day. John and Colin climb in, click belts. Do me a favour, Colin. Look up that Korean chap for me. Something's not adding up with him. Farmhouse day. Sarah shakes, hyperventilating. The check crumples in her hand. Country store high street day. Will and Mahmood load fence posts into the back of the ranger. Mahmood motions and heads back in. Will leans against the side of the truck. He watches the hectic high street church bells toll 12 p.m. Lots of white faces. Will scans the crowd. Most are looking, staring at him. Some rubberneck. There is a sense of unease. He tries to ignore them when Jamie, Chris, Gareth and the brood arrive in his field of vision. Jamie looks Will up and down. Wry smile blooms on, her, on his face. Jones? Jamie Cooper. What the fuck do you want? Shame about your dad, isn't it, blood? Our condolences. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? You know who would shoot a man in the back, eh? Do I look like that? I don't know, Jamie. 
You were always involved in some shady shit. What were we up to when I left? 30 offences and 16 convictions? Sorry? You want to say that again, bruv? Wild ground blood. You want some? You know what, Jamie? You know how you can help me? I want the name of the coward who did it. The Paki with you. He's Syrian, and yes, he's with me. Oh, my mistake. Though I'm sure you know the difference. How many of them you mark? Enough not to think twice. Have a think about names, Jamie. I won't ask again. I want you guys to give yourselves a round of applause. How do you feel, Tim? What was it like hearing your work read? It was surreal again, to be honest. Um, it's, it's, yeah, no, it was great. It was great. It was definitely like, I was definitely listening to it and going, okay, you know, here are some things that I'm, I'm thinking perhaps, you know, on another draft or, or something uh, to think, all right, well, maybe we can do about this or, or maybe we can reword something like that. So it was really good to hear it as heard, heard in, in one run like that. Brilliant. Fantastic. And I'll come to some of your, your readers. So Louis David, what was it like reading? I think last week when we spoke in the rehearsals, you were just talking about trying to understand that energy of being Syrian, because obviously that's not your nationality. Tell us a bit about yeah. yourself and how you, yeah. how you enjoyed the script. It's such an, uh, an adventure to be playing this character because my mood is completely different from what I'm used to. But uh, I came to Spain, I moved to Spain five years ago. And as an immigrant, I cannot understand the, uh, the struggle to try to be yourself, to conquer every fear that you have, to even try to erase your past somehow. And I think Mahmoud has a past and we haven't been able to see it yet. And we will probably in next scripts and this is something that is exciting about this character. And this is why I love I love Mahmoud so much about it. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. And I'll come to the other Louis or Lewis, Anthony. Uh, what was it like? Obviously, I changed the casting last minute, but you're so adaptable. You wrote beautifully Will in the rehearsals, but I put you on to do Colin and John. He came with a different sort of vibe and energy. How did it feel to read those parts? I mean, it was weird because they're, they're both kind of, they're different characters, but they kind of share the same traits in there. They're cocky. They, they've been around for a while. They know what they want and they're going to get it either way. They're just giving you kind of an ultimatum at the start and then they're just trying to get out of you. But they know what they want and it was kind of fun playing that as uh, as kind of just just similar traits. But to get that, they are different characters, but they share the same things. Bringing it out to life was kind of fun, yeah. Wonderful, thank you. And obviously the same position for you, SA, uh, change the casting. So you were reading as well this week. You've had a week with the script. How did it feel to read this part? Did you enjoy it? I did. Um, there's, there's always something about bringing it to life in a virtual room full of people that that, that adds something that you don't get when you're going through the, the script. And, and I, I just, just, just this time, um, I, I, I noticed more so the I feel like Will, there's an element of guilt that Will has for potentially leaving his sister and uh, going to do what, you know, he went off to do. And that was more apparent there, especially with Lou, um, hearing her, <laughs> hearing that sort of, that anger and frustration oh. in her voice, that, that really helped, really helped. Brilliant. And Marcy, obviously you're the glue 
that kept moving <laughs> going. Thank you so much. What was it like just being a part of the project? You asked from the start once the uh, character of Sarah was um, cast, if you could do the narration. What's it been like reading this script? Oh, no, it's been amazing. I've enjoyed it. I've just enjoyed connecting with everybody. Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. And June, obviously, I think... Um, so Chris, who plays, who's reading for June, you've got a relationship yeah. with Tim. Um, so I think you've, you've probably been a bit more privy to the project than say some of the other um, actors. What was your experience <laughs> this time around reading with everyone? Um, yeah, you know, honestly, uh, the energy in the room is great. It's, it's still, it's so weird with the Zoom um, aspect of it, but like, gosh, I think we, you know, pulled it together and um, it's great seeing everyone come to life. And uh, it's, it's almost like, knowing what the script is and seeing it how it is presented is just like kind of magical in its own way and um june's like a lot of fun he's just like this mysterious quirky um you know he's an underlying badass waiting to just kind of have his moment so it's cool and it's also nice to see an asian and western which is you know not such a common thing so uh i thank you tim for that <laughs> superb and Andre, I see you've gone all out when I said, uh, come, come ready, come in costume. <laughs> I was trying, yeah. You've got the beard, you let the beard <laughs> grow out and shit. <laughs> what was it like um, now that you had the understanding, obviously, from Tim, that, he, you know, it's very traditional Western, as in, a, you know, I had that American accent. And then obviously the flip side of reading for a youngster like Jamie. What was yeah. your interaction with the script like this time around? Um, I found it. I found it easier, and thank you for the notes from from yourself and Tim. Um, I did watch um, whatever he told me to watch. I was watching it today and throughout the week as well, and it reminded me of a self tape that I did for kind of a midwestern kind of accent, maybe last year or something like that. So I had a look at that, and I kind of remembered and making sure I was aware of my voice and stuff like that. Um, I've, so I found Van Van Hague was a different character in comparison to Jamie. Um, Jamie, I've got lots of kind of friends of all walks of life and he's kind of like Jamie, yeah, yeah, kind of wanna be English white guy with lots of black friends. He kind of picks up the twang. So I like the, like the difference between both characters, which was nice. Brilliant, brilliant, fantastic. And Tim, obviously there are agents watching this, which is great for the actors. There are producers watching this with some cash moolah. Um, what is your ambitions for the script? What do you want to do with it next? What's your intentions for this piece? Well, originally when I wrote it, I wanted to write something that's never been seen on British television. That was my main goal. Um, and, and so I would love to see it get made into a series. You know, I have at least a two, two series mapped out, six episodes sort of British TV uh, series in my mind at the very least. Um, and it's something I want to see. I want to see these characters come to life. I want to show um, that the countryside is just not a bunch of people going who are, and it's it's a diverse place, and it's a place that's becoming more and more diverse. And I want to show it in a way, I want to show a genre as well that has basically been dead for the last 30 or 40 years, that we're in such a weird place now, both in the US and the UK, that the Western about discovering the sort of this unknown frontier, um, I think is still, is become sort of valid again. Um, and I think it would be nice for us to all kind of revisit what that Western is about, but just put it in very, very, very different clothing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Amen. And um, obviously, congrats to you. You're an award-winning scriptwriter now with an award-winning script, and we'll be supporting you on your developmental journey with that. Just want to do a round robin for everyone to tell us where we can follow up with you some more. So each of you can obviously follow each other as well, but people watching can go away and see what you're working on next. I'll come from the beginning again. So Louis, David, if you could just let us know what your Twitter or Instagram handles are and where we can see some more of you. Of course, my Twitter is Louis David, and my Instagram is basically the same, just Louis David RJ with our my last names. And you can check out there the latest uh, short film we did uh, under lockdown here in Barcelona, which is very fun and very different. And I want to um, take this time to also congratulate him. I'm excited about this script, and I think it's so important what you are doing to just mixing all of these kind of characters. I was working with a close friend on script and he said like, oh, this is crazy. And I was like, this is life. This is basically <laughs> everyday life. We meet people from around the world and this is what we really need on TV. Thank you so much. Really, really well said. SA, where can we find a bit more of you? Um, I'm not working on anything at the moment. I'm just trying to uh, survive 2020. But um, as soon as uh, 2020 gets out of the way, I'll, I'm, I'm going to get back to auditioning and possibly even making some shorts and uh, shopping them around. Hopefully I'll shop them to uh, British Urban Film Festival. Who knows? Um, but my uh, Instagram handle, I've just typed it in. It's, it's HeySA1. Uh, Twitter is HeySA without the one. And uh, I'm, I'm on the usual pages spotlight. Uh, Mandy and all that so yeah okay good stuff thank you very much and Lewis Anthony where can we see more of you and stay in touch uh yeah so uh basically just my Twitter and Instagram is uh LA Prince Duke both of them um obviously the same boat with 2020 not lots going on but uh I've got a few things planned that I want to do myself as well as um other things that people want to do so yeah I mean next year should be eventful if everything goes to plan but we fingers crossed for that basically no worries, thank you. And Marcia, where can we stay in touch with you? Um, you can find me on um, Twitter and um, Instagram, Marcia Louisa B. Um, and on both of them, there's clips of my show reels on both and clips of um, videos. Phenomenal, thank you. Chris, how can we stay in touch? Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at, at Chris Labity, just my name. and. Uh, you can catch me um, on CW in January uh, for the Walker premiere, which is the uh, reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger. That premieres January 21st. So. Good stuff. Congratulations. Thank Good you so much. Well You're welcome. And Andre, where can we stay in touch with you? Um, you can stay in touch with me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my hashtag, not hashtag, my at sign is um, the Andre underscore H. Underscore H, perfect. Yeah. And Tim, where, where can we, um, where can you be found? What's your website and your social medias? Uh, my best way to be is, is Instagram. My uh, handle is at Malentime. So it's Malon, M-A-L-L-O-N-T-I-M-E. Uh, and really what I've been doing, I've got no excuse, I'm a writer. So uh, I've been, just because it's 2020, doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I'm working on uh, a TV pilot right now, another TV pilot, uh, working on a feature, which is kind of being mapped out a little bit behind there. Got a couple more projects in the wings as well. Um, and then I've got a, a feature right now that we've just got an, um, a director and an EP on. Um, and uh, now we're trying to sort of get some talent assigned and, uh, and fingers crossed, we'll, we'll see what's going on with that. Um, 
but uh, yeah, okay, I, from here it's foot down. <laughs> well, obviously, Tim, we would expect that should this production go into development that you would look right here for the talent that have read um, for them to come and read again for you formally um, for some of those delicious parts that you've created in this fantastic, unique Western. You know, we've never had a script like this before. So it really stood out for me and the other three judges when we were reading hundreds of scripts that have come through. So really congrats again to you for being um, a buff 2020 award-winning script writer with Hell Water. I'm Claire Anyamo Seagrave. Thank you guys all for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you at the at Buff 2021, my God. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.